0: Hello, I'm Passive J, and this is Other Ground Live. All right, folks, this is another edition of Other Ground Live. As I mentioned, I'm Passive J. Uh, my co-host, as always, is Ryan. And as always, for some strange reason, this uh, program will not let, the, uh, let me start it with him, so he has to log in. So we'll give him a moment. Uh, in the meantime, I'm more than happy to say we have a special guest coming on. Uh, I'm not going to ruin it. Uh, it'll be a surprise. Uh, hopefully, it should be on uh, uh, soon. All right. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. We really need to work on our timing for this. <laughs> I'm glad to see that we have uh, plenty of people listening today. Uh, you can call in on your Podbean app if you like. Uh, we, we're always taking random callers, uh, guests, anything like that. And he's still not on. This is awkward. All right. I see. Oh, we're already up to quite a few people. I'm glad to see you guys are all here. I appreciate the support. Let me go look on Facebook and see why he's not on yet. I apologize for the dead air. Like I said, this is a new podcast. So it's going to take a little while for us to get all of our stuff together. But in the meantime, is there anything you guys would like to... Oh, I think I see our special guest. Uh, Feel free to uh, hit the call-in button, sir, and we will go ahead and get started. Well, I I would like to welcome special guest MMA legend, Pat Militich. How are you doing, guys? I am excellent. It uh, look, looks like my co-host just managed to join us as well. So, uh, Pat, this is Ryan over here, and I'm Jay.
1: Ryan and Jay. Awesome, man. Uh, great to be on with you. You, uh, I haven't, uh, I tell you what, the Underground Forum, man, what a legendary uh, platform to
0: be using, right? Yeah, no kidding. Oh. Uh, so, so many people over the years have uh, been on there. It's It's an amazing place. Uh, so, uh, and we really appreciate you coming on and doing a show with us. This is our only our second show, so it's uh, nice to get a jump start like this.
1: Yeah, man. No, this is uh, it's cool uh, that you guys are doing an other ground also.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, nowadays the other ground's kind of bigger than the underground is.
1: I wouldn't doubt it, I wouldn't doubt it given all the geopolitical, domestic, uh, politics and all the crazy shit going on, right? Right, no kidding. We're just
2: kind of the, if you think about it, right, we're just kind of the foul-mouthed little brother, so uh, we're
0: definitely the ones with uh, all the terrible takes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good,
0: man, that's good. Yeah. Now, is there anything you want to specifically talk about today?
1: Um, You guys can, hey, look, you guys can talk about anything. I mean, I I host, uh, obviously, the Conspiracy Farm, which is, we've been doing that for since, gosh, a year, the year before Trump became president, so uh over four years i guess and and you know we've built a really good grassroots following and and uh you know never really had any money behind us or anything like that and, and it's grown and exploded and we've got listeners in over a hundred and gosh what is it 110 countries or something like that so we're having a blast with it and, and so i can i can rap with you about a lot of things i mean we can talk about current affairs we can talk about all kinds of stuff things uh mma i don't do anything
0: Nice, and if we run out of stuff to talk about, we can also have the ability to have people call in to ask you questions and stuff.
1: Yeah, that's kick ass. I love it.
0: Excellent. Well, what uh, speaking since we were already talking about that, what got you?
1: You know, I I had wanted to for for a long time, and you know, I I had always since I was a young kid, and this is why I went into the conspiracy the conspiratorial uh world and, and geopolitics and domestic policy i mean i was the little kid sitting on the living room floor when i was six years old listening to walter cronkite and wondering you know what the hell was going on in the world right but uh, when i was about that age my grandmother and my mother got me up very early in the morning when i was uh, down on the farm in albia iowa and the outside of albia and they drugged me into town, and everything was urgent. And uh, we stood in line. We were one of the first people to get in line at the Farmers National Bank in Albia, Iowa when the farm collapse was happening. And my grandmother, there was a rush on the banks, basically. And uh, the run on the banks is, is something that is heard about by many people. They've, they've read about them, things like that. But uh, I actually experienced one when I was six years old. And so we were standing in line at the uh Farmers National Bank waiting for it to open for my grandmother to get her money out. And the the line for people, for farmers to get their money out went down the street around the block. I mean, it was farmers from all over that South central Iowa area. And my grandmother was one of the first in there. She got, if I remember right, right around $90,000 in 1971 after, after Nixon took us off the gold standard and things kind of went to shit for a while there. So, um, that, that I think it just opened up my mind because I was asking my mother and my grandmother, what the hell's going on? Why are we doing this? What, you know, and, and I could sense the, the, the urgency in the air so that, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to talk because I got sick of listening to the news. I've trained law enforcement and military for a lot of years. Um, I've got a lot of friends in the intelligence world and, um, you know, I just, I got so sick of the news, not telling us the truth that, uh, I asked my co-host Jeffrey Wilson when I was on his podcast, I said, Hey man, I've got this idea. I want to call it the conspiracy farm. Um, The tagline, all that stuff, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, we don't start the conspiracies. We just add the water. And uh, he's a very talented guy. He's a, he's a voiceover actor. He's uh, also very intelligent and wise to um, a lot of the shit that's going on in the world. And he said, man, I love it. Let's do it. So we, we started doing it over, over four years ago and, and i uh, been having a blast with it.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, in that same vein, uh, uh, being a podcaster myself, this is something I always think about. Who would be your perfect guest? To, like if you could pick any one person to have an issue.
1: Dude, I tell you what, man, I got lucky. I wrote an email to Peter Schiff. Uh, Peter Schiff was the economist that called the 2008 collapse. I watched him live on, and I've always been a fan of his. He's a, he's a gold and silver guy. Uh, and an economist, he, but he called the 2008 collapse before it happened. He was live on CNN with two other economists and they literally were laughing in his face, uh, when he was call, calling the housing collapse. And he called it almost to the, to the day, you know, how long it was going to be before it happened. And, uh, so I wrote a letter. I told him that story of how I got started in, in the world of just opening my brain up with that, um, farmer's national bank story. And he went, dude, how can I not be on your show? You know, so look up Peter Schiff and look up his Twitter his Twitter page, um, and and read what he's writing about what's going on now. And I think you'll it's it's slightly ominous. Let's put it that way.
0: Uh, yes. So you kind of already got your uh, dream guest already, huh?
1: Yeah, and we've I mean we've had a variety of people. I mean uh, former former uh, assistant director of the. FBI, and also he was a uh, bigwig in the CIA, counterterrorism, uh, Dave Zadie, who was part of the, the WAMA group. Remember, he was the guy that, that was the CEO of that, and we almost pulled that off. Um, I've had some some amazing guests from the uh, special warfare community. Uh, Sonny Puzikas is going to be on later tonight. He's a former Spetsnaz terrorist hunter. He was um special forces Russian special forces when the Soviet Union fell apart, he lives in the United States now he trains trains people in in you know tactical stuff uh weapons and and uh, very very bright guy though
0: excellent yeah, that's something I think I should probably be looking into uh since I have very very little uh, uh athletic ability I should probably get some kind of training at some point, especially the way things
1: well things are you know this is uncharted territory for everybody, right? I mean, even, I think, besides a guy like, like Peter Schiff, who's going to go out on a limb and basically say, you know, um, th- this is, this is going to get ugly. People don't understand anything about, you know, what a derivative is, and they don't know anything about the derivative bubble, or the derivative bubble being $1.5 quadrillion, which is four times the size of the entire planet's economy. Um, and that's all leveraged on everything that basically every good, every goods, goods, and, uh, products, and um, mortgages and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, they're talking about something that alarmed me and look, I got punched in the head for a living. I'm smart enough to figure this out. Uh, they're talking about giving uh, year moratorium, a suspension uh, for mortgage payments and, the banks can't handle that. You know, I'm sure the banks have insurance, but that's going to that's gonna cause the derivatives bubble to pop. If, if that derivatives bubble pops, which is just a matter of time, and that's probably going to be the thing that causes it. You know, um, I don't know. Are we eating our cats?
0: <laughs> right, yeah. I can, I can see that. I mean, I mean, I'm, I don't uh, have any knowledge in any of that kind of stuff, but I do know that the money has to come from someplace eventually. It's, it's not going to materialize out of no place. Someone eventually is going to...
2: Yeah, and really and, You really have been headed here, right? So, like, even without dead. so everything that's going on right now, like we've been headed to kind of a bubble bursting, anyhow. So, yeah, this I mean, when you look whole at, uh, coronavirus and everything, has been kind of fortuitous in a way, right?
1: Right, and so you know, there's some guys that are writing uh, um, Q, 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 and on things like that. Um, I think that I think that Q has been right on many things, but also. The timeline hasn't made sense. I i don't buy into 100% of any what anybody's saying, to be honest with you. Um, I'm trying to take bits and pieces of information from, from everyone. And uh, so it's uh, that, that's something that people need to remember. But, you know, yes, as far as we've been headed there for a long time, Deutsche Bank's been circling the drain for a long time. Um, Wells Fargo's been circling the drain for a long time. You know, the, the CEO of Deutsche Bank, gosh what was it a month ago or two months he basically said that the federal reserve and the european central bank literally have no more options when things go upside down and you know they just put in what a 2 trillion dollar stimulus they're looking at another one or 2 trillion dollar stimulus The the dollar's going to be worth nothing i mean you think china's going to sell us anything when we don't have a currency that's worth a shit so it's it, it's very uh, we're in a very precarious situation and uh, things like I said, I don't know how it turns out, but I don't think it turns out great unless um, Well, no matter how you feel about Trump, he's he's hinted around for probably four years, even before he was president, that he would kill the Federal Reserve. And if, if he kills the Fed and um, creates a um, treasury note that's backed by, by precious metals, then, hey, man. And, and yeah, somebody just said uh, gold to become gold standard is hinted. Yes. And so, you know, I'm hoping I'm hoping that's the case. You know that, uh, and that would that would, I mean, that frees us. That frees us from the from the globalist
0: bankers, right? I am in way over my head here, but hopefully Ryan's. Fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, for the most part, I I think you're definitely making some some good points there, and it's it's just an interesting time to be alive with the whole pandemic coming across and how much you can kind of hide with that event. Uh, as far as some of the things they're doing monetarily, um, also just to kind of spot on.
1: You, you you really are. You're going down the right down the right path with that. In my mind, I mean, um, there have been many other pandemics uh, that have caused an awful lot of deaths. The flu every year kills kills what an average of a half million people, and uh, and they don't they don't make us lock down for that. And so, I would say that this is the this is the. Camo jacket over the top of a of a deliberate economic collapse and rebuilding. So, I think that I think that that's really kind of where we're what, what what's going on because it just uh, and think of the think of the moral um, the moral question you have to ask yourself: Do we make do we keep people working and keep the economy going, even if there was no planned economic collapse? keep people working, keep the economy churning along, and, you know, the the people that are susceptible to these types of of viruses are going to die, people with pre-existing conditions, many of whom probably didn't take care of themselves real well, but certainly there's going to be a lot of innocent innocent collateral damage in that. Or do we uh, collapse the entire system and people are, I mean, um, in speaking with several politicians that are friends of mine, Uh, One one U.S. congressman, he said, Pat, and and you won't have to look far for who it is. He's an MIT scientist. Um, His wife's also an MIT scientist. They're not dumb people. He said, Pat, more people will commit suicide uh, from from the economic collapse than this virus would have ever taken Um, just suicides alone.
0: That's interesting that you say that. I was actually just having a conversation with somebody about this today. Uh, obviously, I don't want people to die. Uh, and what they're doing is going to prevent some people from dying that would not that would have otherwise. Uh, on the other hand, the economic damage that they're doing is probably, like, I, my numbers are going to be made up. But let's say, you know, 5,000 people are going to die if they do this. 15,000 people are going to die if they don't do this. Well, obviously, we don't want ten thousand extra people to die, but on the other hand, five hundred thousand people might lose their house because of this. I mean, a
1: lot, more than, lot, more than, lot more than a half million are going to lose their house,
0: brother. Right. Like I'm just spitting numbers out, but that's what I'm saying. At what point is the economic damage that we're doing, you know, too much?
1: Yeah, and how 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 behind the eight ball are we
0: going to be then to try
1: and it'll it'll come running roaring back? But I mean, look. I'm sitting here saying to myself, well, shit, I've got connections in Croatia. I've got an FFL. I can sell guns. Uh, hey, I'm going to call my Croatian cousins over there uh, and say, send me a shipping container full of AK-47s, and I'm going to sit in my backyard and sell them for gold and silver. <laughs> I'm going to sit in a lawn chair next to it and just sell them straight out of that son of a bitch. I mean, that's, that's, um, that's what's going to happen. That's what happened in Russia when the Soviet Union split up. Everybody, it was a black market Wild West uh, billionaires were created out of that stuff.
0: Right. And one of the things I've always wondered about is people, some people are like stocking months and months and months worth of food. Like you got to have six months worth of food. You have to have a year's worth of food. And I'm telling them while extra food is certainly not a bad idea. If you can't get food from a supermarket for six months, uh, we're going to be way past worrying about how much food you have in your basement. (laughs) There's going to be mobs of people going door to door, killing people and stealing all their stuff. And at that point, it doesn't matter how many uh, boxes of Cheerios you have.
1: Well, and that's the thing people need to remember that, um, no matter what the government tells you, do not give up your guns, no matter what they say, do not give up your guns. That's, uh, They are going to stomp all over civil liberties, uh, the 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 Constitution. If you thought it was getting its uh, people were wiping their ass with it with the NDAA and and the Patriot Act and everything else, the uh, the DOJ just asked a judge is going to uh, ask a judge for special permission, and they did this quietly. People can look this up and read about it, uh, where they can also detain people indefinitely without. Um, any trial without charges, without them being able to even call their loved ones or their attorneys, you will just disappear. And uh, and so that's,
2: that's that's, a scary one.
1: And that's not, that's not tinfoil hat um, stuff. That's a fact. That's, that is a fact.
2: Yeah, that's out there right now. And I've I've read up on that one a little bit as well. And the, the crazy thing about that, right. is like their argument of being able to, you know, like access judges and actually get these things heard is now you know pushed back because of Corona, but I mean we've had teleconference availability for sure. decades, so they're just yeah, trying to definitely. hide these things. Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, they're they're definitely not. Yeah, I think uh, Freedom of info- Freedom of Information Act and a few other. There's some groups that are that are able to to get this info out to the to the public, you know. But then then again, how long does the you know there's threats of of the internet going getting shut down and, and so we can't communicate and things like that. So. You, uh, you never know. You never know. But I will say this: um, when, when, you know, all of a sudden, governors and different mayors start shutting down, forcing gun stores to close. No more sales of ammo and guns. No more sales of booze. This and that. uh, That that should be an indication that something's coming where they're going to be a little worried about citizens being pissed off at them, right?
2: yeah we're definitely you know, getting there
1: you know when they when they say yeah you can't sell any more ammo or guns i mean uh the and i'm sure you guys have been to the grocery stores stuff's flying off the shelves canned goods all that sort of stuff and uh and same thing with ammo and guns and you know what's what's a beautiful thing is between jeffrey epstein getting uh whacked or not getting whacked disappearing
0: uh because he was um israeli Mossad. um and, well, I am, I'm I'm okay. pretty much the least conspiracy uh, theory person in the world, and I think somebody killed.
1: Well, here's the thing: I don't think he's dead. I think I th- I think he's I think he's more than free. Like I said, he's a, he's that was certainly a Mossad operation to. Um, oh, compliment- you mean in the other
0: direction? Yeah, I, I feel, yeah, I can definitely agree that uh, whatever happened there isn't what happened there.
1: Yeah, no, he didn't. He certainly didn't hang himself. So between that and what's going on now, and all of a sudden, people who never desired to own a gun uh, are suddenly gun shopping, and and I hear it from a lot of people who run guns gun stores are going, yeah, these these people who don't know anything about guns and they just know that they fucking need one now.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's in the big centers too, too now as far as population center, right? Like I grew up in Iowa as well, so everybody had a gun, everybody knew how to use one now right. I'm up in new England. And like you, you see the, the kind of worry in people's faces that never even knew, you know, that they had a need that now have a need.
0: Well, I own a shotgun, but I'll be honest with you. I've never fired it. Uh, I got it. Cause my wife, uh, apparently liked one, having one in the house. She grew up with a firearm in the house. As did I, I mean, I grew up with my family owning firearms. I just never had much interest in them. Uh, but I'm sure glad. I-
1: yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, Handguns, ARs, shotguns—all they all serve a different purpose. They all, you know, they all do the job. You just gotta—I would say—you should probably go familiar, familiarize yourself with it, and uh, you know, do some practice target shooting and and uh, get some get some buckshot so you can, you know, put it through your front door if somebody's trying to get in, right?
0: Oh, mo- most certainly, yeah. That's definitely gonna be on the uh, schedule, uh, probably within the next day or two, because uh, things are just feeling
1: yeah, it's, it's, it's. Sorry, I'm closing the blinds in my office here. The sun's blaring right, in, right into my eyes. But uh, um, so, what, wait a minute. Sorry to sorry to change subject. Uh, what part of Iowa did you grow up in? Uh,
2: so I grew up in a small town of about 5,200, uh, just about a half hour north of Ames.
1: Okay, what's the name of the name of the town?
2: Um, so it was Iowa Falls.
1: Yeah. So how old are you? Sorry to ask.
2: So I am thirty-seven. So actually, that time that you were kind of talking about the story you're going through there, uh, I had a grandfather that lived just outside of town, a smaller town uh, called Alden, and he kind of did all of the construction in that area. So even if you drive okay. through so, today, about eighty percent of those houses were built by by my by my family.
1: So I have a good friend from Iowa Falls uh, named Jeff Lindeman. Do you are you familiar with the Lindeman family?
2: Absolutely. That was my first job was working for the Lindemans uh, out there kind of going through the, corn the fields, the monument,
1: uh, the monument business
2: no no so uh outside of that they had kind of just summer work and that was pretty much everyone from like i'd say age like 12 to 16 that was all of our first jobs was kind of working out in some of the the local farm fields
1: that's awesome man that's awesome yeah, yeah so yeah. he's a good friend of mine he lives here in in uh, my hometown of bettendorf now moved down here so um but uh yeah no the uh Things are getting a little bit interesting. National Guard getting sent out everywhere. I saw pictures of, uh, I I don't know if you guys have seen the footage of of Hummers traveling everywhere all around the country, lines of them. Now I'm starting to get pictures of, and it's funny because people were saying, uh, well, the the National Guard is just being sent out to assist with the testing sites. And I said, okay, that's great. Um, But maybe you can explain now why there's um, Bradley fighting vehicles and M1 Abrams in the streets. Well,
0: for testing,
1: they're, they're 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 certainly they're
0: testing something. I'm sure of it.
1: <laughs>
0: so uh, Z
1: Onion says, "Someone
0: say tits or fuck or something." <laughs> it's kind of nice yeah. that I
1: can read the questions with you guys.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, this is the OG. They're expecting something a little bit more lowbrow today.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, um, hey, you know, we got to we're to you know. Well,
0: I get a question for you sir I was I was looking through your Wikipedia earlier because I knew I might be talking to you and I noticed that you have uh, black belts in several disciplines uh, yeah. what's the one you' most which one are you most proud of
1: you know what um to be honest with you I'm probably most proud that I survived Peña's boxing gym um, I donated a lot of blood down there but you know the the, the Ru karate was was um, A great eye-opening experience it's a it's an okinawan art and uh it it really taught me distance really really well that safety zone and and understanding um you know defense not getting touched you know i'm lucky that i i uh had a lot of great coaches um from brazilian jiu-jitsu to wrestling to um to boxing to a lot of you know combatives in, in general but um that that art there probably taught me the most in terms of uh, distance and understanding it for for kicks and punches, and then just getting the shit kicked out of me for a long time until I could hang down at Pena's Boxing Gym in downtown Davenport. You know that's where Antoine Eccles, Michael Nunn, a lot of those guys came out of. Um, you just once I got to where I could hang down there, I felt pretty good that nobody was in MMA was was going to be able to to hurt me standing up anyway. And uh, and, it, and it rang true. I mean, I've never had a – in kickboxing, in in boxing, and in, in mixed martial arts, I ne- I, even training, I never had a concussion, never got knocked out. Um, I got a TKO on my record in MMA because I got trapped underneath limb when I couldn't get out. Um, but besides that, you know, there's no I – I never, I never had a, a headache from sparring or anything like that. So I'm pretty, pretty lucky with that. So um, to be able to come out and still – be able to hold a conversation like we're holding, I guess, and be able to speak and spell. You know, that's a good thing because I noticed a lot of the the old kickboxers and boxers when I first started training many years ago. Obviously, um, I noticed that those guys really weren't there. Um, very vacant looks in their eyes a lot of times and, um, from from just taking too much punishment. So uh, I paid attention to that and really really worked on my defensive skills. So.
0: Oh, excellent. Um, let's see. Uh, Ryan, do you got anything you want to ask him? I don't want to feel like I'm taking over the whole show.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, actually, when you were kind of talking about Michael Nunn, um, you actually had a fight coming up that got moved uh, due to Corona, didn't you? Uh,
1: not, not due to Corona. We had, we had to move it back to June 6th because there was a conflicting um, event in May that we were initially going to go in April. Uh, we couldn't get some of the stuff, the testing done in time to get it approved. Uh, which it would have been canceled anyway. And then we moved it back to May where there was a conf- conflicting date uh, for the athletic commission. So it got moved back to June 6th. So I'm hopeful that we can still pull it off June 6th and, uh, and the world awakens and opens its, its doors and comes out into the sunshine and everybody can start making a lot of money and, and the economy can rebound. Hopefully, and Michael and I can get it on and have a good time. It's a He's, he's allowing me to kick and, uh, if it was if it was a boxing match i I don't know how sharp his skills are these days but i can say if he was if he's a quarter of what he was when he was the best pound-for-pound boxer in the world um, he's still going to be awfully awfully tough to to touch in a boxing match he's that good with his head movement and his reach he's a southpaw with ungodly reach and and he's six foot two um so he's allowing me to kick so we're going to have a good time and and put on a show for the crowd. You know, we're both from from the quad, Iowa Quad Cities, and so we think that we can we can fill an arena. And there's going to be a lot of very talented young guys on the undercard uh, that that are not getting you know enough attention. And uh, hopefully, this will be a good platform for them. And I'm watching. A, we've already done one test run with Internet Pay Per View. <clears throat> we did that after Access TV stopped. Um, um, they just basically fired everybody uh, in the MMA. Uh, department um, and so, I, so I, I I licked my wounds for about a week going what the hell just happened and then I talked to some of my friends here in the Quad Cities and I said hey man do you think we can put together a quick internet pay per view for the local MMA show and see if we can do this and, and I think it took us five weeks to be able to figure it out um, and have the equipment and everything we needed to pull off our own internet pay per view and so um, we're going to Continue to fine tune it, and we're going to use that internet pay per view for for the uh, fights that
0: my, uh, the night Michael Nunn and I are going to fight. So that's pretty cool. That's one of the things I like about technology today. Is you couldn't do that twenty years ago. Your options were cable for pay per view, and that was it.
1: Yeah, now, no, it's, it's you know they had a they had a, uh, the market cornered on all that stuff, and all us little guys were were pushed out, right? So uh, not anymore. It's a great thing. And, and somebody asked a question here. Um, pundit asked i I just i I don't like to leave people hanging i apologize Um, he asked uh, what is the biggest physical detriment to aging fighters knees back mind etc what will folks be faced with the most Um, well i can say that um, cervical uh, spine injuries are are really uh, prevalent in mixed martial arts and certainly um, as as aging fighters continue to get older you're going to notice um, a lot more cte and, and things like that I, I i know of some fighters that are e- even quite a bit younger than i am who have some pretty severe um, pretty severe uh, dementia and uh, you know some cte issues and things like that so um, it's it's not a joke it's not a joke i mean it's a obvi- obviously a rough sport so so guys
0: are gonna have lasting uh, lasting issues from that so Jeez, you know that anything that has to do with the brain is always scary you know because i saw my my mom ended up having dimensions and stuff like that toward the end and i don't wish that on anybody that's just some scary yeah my my wife's
1: uh father passed away from that and it was a it was, it was a rough mo- it was a rough one you know and it's very sad because he was a very intelligent guy he was a, a self-made man and and uh you know started from scratch and became a multi-millionaire just through hard work and and being a really good businessman and and he was just you know just reduced him to almost a childlike childlike existence which was very very unfortunate so
0: yeah but i I can totally understand why fighters keep on doing it i mean you see it over and over again you know uh when they win you know they feel like they can keep winning and when they lose well you don't want to retire in a loss so you know just the process keeps on recycling over
1: right right and to be honest with you i mean I don't even really desire to get, I I I, I never really missed fighting at all. I missed the camaraderie, uh, the intensity of the training, you know, a lot of that sort of stuff. But I didn't, I I never really, you know, I accomplished what I wanted to and and was able to walk away. Um, And people have asked me that that a lot. Do you miss fighting? I I have no problem saying absolutely not, not at all. Don't miss it at all. Um, But uh, a guy like Michael Nunn, the uniqueness of this fight, the fact we're both from this area. I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be pretty, pretty cool, pretty, pretty fun to do. Well,
0: I mean, obviously, it's going to be dangerous, but compared to like the MMA fights that you've done, this kind of thing it's kind of like not even really a fight. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's a fight, but you're you're used to something way more dangerous.
1: Well, the fact I can't use takedowns and submissions on a guy like Michael Nunn, it's a, it's a bit of a roll of the dice considering his uh, his skill set. But you know what? Um, he's never been kicked before. He's never felt a a heater um, shin bone
0: to his quad before. Right, right, and obviously, I don't mean to disparage that guy. He's a, a world class athlete. I just figured the with your ability to kick him would probably give him problems. Even-
1: yeah, and yeah, at, at the same time, I'm uh, you know, I'm no, I'm not going to blow smoke up my own ass. And and one punch, one punch from him can put me put me to sleep. Even though I've never been, um, never been knocked out or had a concussion, I, I'm well aware of his ability to to turn my lights out so you know that's the thing it's 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 a roll of the dice for both of us um and that's what makes it interesting i think you know what i mean uh it's it's a a big unknown how we're going to match up
0: right right that'd be super duper interesting um where can we watch it i mean well you yeah you said you don't have a date for it yet but how are we going to be able to watch it what uh, pay-per-view service are you using and all that good stuff
1: well we'll put out we'll put out all that information um you know once 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 tickets start going going up for sale and all that sort of stuff we'll definitely release that the only thing is is you know we don't know how long this this coronavirus quarantine shit's going to last man they could they could extend this thing for um a long time depending on how long they need to to do to the economy what they need to do in the monetary system right
0: oh, geez, i hope not uh, i um i'm i've actually been laid off from my uh, real job <laughs> and
1: uh you're, you know you're laid uh, off uh,
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I uh, My real job is working at a fancy country club, and I already don't work in the winter, so I've been off for a couple months. And ironically enough, uh, they the state of Michigan closed all uh, restaurants and places of business like that two days before I was supposed to go back to work for the season.
1: Yeah, man. It's, it's, see, that's the thing I'm talking about. This is millions of people, not across the country, per state, right?
0: Millions per state are out of work. Right, that's right. Start right I, like i've already been off for a couple of months if if it's only two weeks if we go because right now the country clubs close for the next two weeks while they see what happens if i can go back to work then yeah, i mean that's gonna suck and i lost a lot of money but i'll be okay if i don't go back to work by april 1st things get grim pretty quick
1: yeah and that's the thing is is people you know there's a lot of people on spring break vacations and all that sort of stuff and um you know i've got three daughters you know i i had to get them back man i couldn't take a chance um considering the people that i was talking to from politicians economists military guys uh, uh intel guys all of them were when i told them what my plight was where my kids were spread out at you know a 6 year old with grandma uh, my oldest with my wife on the west coast of florida and uh my 15 year old in you know, the woodlands outside of houston with with her godparents um they said, you need to get your kids back to Iowa, dude. You need, you need to get that shit rounded up and, and get them back because this, you know, one politician told me this was Wednesday. Today is what, Saturday? Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, one politician called me on Wednesday and said, just got out of meetings and uh, talking to Homeland Security people and other politicians and financial sector people and he, he was very clear. He said, "This thing takes a very grave turn within 72 hours. So get your kids home, man."
0: So, oh yeah, well, I can totally understand that. My wife's panic stricken because uh, she has a daughter uh, in Ohio, in Ohio, which is normally a reason to panic, anyways. Uh, but and, uh, and and she's got family. You know, her 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 parents live in Florida. I'm over here in Michigan, and uh, obviously, there's not nothing we can do to help them right now. Yeah, if things, no, if things, you know if things go bad. If things just go bad. I mean, they're on the other side of the country.
1: Well, and, and people don't people don't understand that. You know, this the fear of getting sick. Um, look, that's understandable. You know, people people are afraid of that. But you know, where the real fear is, I don't fear the coronavirus. I fear the people that fear the coronavirus. I fear right. the people right. are already panicking and you know taking uh, two shopping carts full of, of toilet paper and um, losing their minds, you know, because.
0: Right, right. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I feel kind of bad complaining about being off work a couple of weeks after being off work, laid off for a while, because this thing's having permanent effects on people's lives that some people don't think about. I was talking to my boss and, you know, things like, college graduation was canceled his son's baseball season you know he, he just got a scholarship to go to school to play baseball and his entire season's all fucked up now you know you know once in a lifetime events are getting fucked up on a daily basis because of this
1: right This, and it, it goes all across you know all demographics all jobs all um you know and you wonder see that that's the thing is you know how long do the banks stay open they're handling cash they they say that Physical currency is is certainly aiding in the spread of coronavirus. Is this whole thing uh, just one of the reasons, or one of the, one of the reasons that they're doing this? Not just a reset on um, the economy. Um, is it to get rid of physical cash and go digital so that they can? Well, they can track your ass then, right? Um, you can't you can't have an all cash business at that point. Um, you can't buy things for cash you know, is it man- mandatory vaccines all of a sudden where a lot of people do not want vaccines for their kids, for themselves, um, because they, they're aware and have done research on on the effects of it. They know that the vaccine court, which protects the, the pharmaceutical companies and the taxpayers have paid out $4 billion in settlements, not, not the pharmaceutical companies, but the taxpayers themselves are the ones that have to foot the bill for the damage that the vaccines are doing to people. So, um, you know, there are there's a lot of reasons that this could be going on or all the above you know what I'm saying so it's it's uh, people can call me a nut but from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from people that that are very legitimate uh, pillars of society in the know you know it's it's uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of darkness uh, attached to this so I, I don't know man I mean even you know the the guys that got on here uh, who follow Q you know Q saying that all of this stuff is, um, they're scooping up a lot of a lot of uh, elites that are that have done uh, treasonous shit and and even pedophiles pedophilia to to kids and all this other stuff. I I don't I don't believe I don't buy that hundred percent. I certainly don't. Um, but I do know that a lot of mafioso over three hundred mafia members were arrested in Italy. I know that over two hundred and fifty Mexican cartel members were arrested in the United States, and they just uh, executed another huge arrest. And and they were talking about scooping up a lot of Catholic priests. I know that one Catholic priest, in fact, because I have a relative um, who works for uh, the Catholic Church, um, knows that um, actually a couple Catholic priests from my area have been scooped up right now. So some of that stuff could be true. Um,
0: And if it is, awesome. Yeah, wouldn't that be a nice change of pace, huh?
1: Yeah, and if if people want to go on and, and look at Madonna's Twitter page, that woman's losing her shit right now.
0: Oh that woman's been losing her shit for years. she's she's from where I'm from. and you know and she she won't even admit the fact that she's from the same state that I'm from, much less the fact that she grew up like three miles from where I'm sitting right now. Just heard a fake fucking accent.
1: <laughs> Somebody's saying Oprah's still missing. Well, I don't know whether Oprah's getting scooped up, but uh, she certainly was close with Weinstein, wasn't she, boys?
0: Oh, God. Isn't that a man? You know, who I feel bad for in all this mess. Uh, Kevin Smith. Uh, I'm sure you're wherever he is. He's a you know podcaster, director, writer, all that good stuff. And he got his start through Weinstein. And he was horrified to hear about all this. If there's anybody in Hollywood that's not associated with that entire thing, I believe it's Kevin Smith uh, being the biggest sweetheart in the world. But man, did that go hard for him. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's like for days and days and days. Whenever you saw him, he looked like he just wanted to cry.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, he probably didn't know anything about it because Weinstein wasn't pulling his pulling his dick out in front of him. You know? Right, he might
0: have been the only person in the in the in Hollywood who didn't get to where he was by sucking dick.
1: <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say about your friend.
0: <laughs> now, on the other hand, I'm sure he doesn't give this advice anymore. But back in the day, if you asked him how to get ahead in Hollywood, he'd say, "Well, what you got to do is uh, stroke the shaft and cup the balls." <laughs> Man,
1: and you know, it's funny, but it's not right at the same time,
0: yeah, exactly. Like I said, I don't think he tells that joke anymore,
1: <laughs> yeah. Probably, probably, uh, that, that joke went into the, the trash heap with a few others, but uh, right. yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, so I feel bad for a lot of the athletes, I feel bad for um, you know, the LFA. You know, they were really building up a lot of steam, uh, on, on UFC Fight Pass. UFC Fight Pass has been great to LFA been great to Ron Crook and myself and the crew from access TV. We were, you know, that's one thing I will say about Ed and Sven and the, the whole LFA crew. Uh, when access suddenly just decided to just get rid of everybody,
0: uh, it, everybody was shocked, of course. And Was and- there ever, ever any reasoning given for that? Or it was just like, Hey, there's the door.
1: Well, it, it, you know, Anthem bought them and Anthem does everything on the cheap, apparently. So uh, we were too expensive and uh, I think all the commentary that they have now on uh, combates is all done in studio um, uh, max bretos and uh, I forget the girl that, that is uh, his uh, his sidekick the color commentary but max bretos I worked with him a little bit at ESPN when I was there great guy love the guy um, so good for him but uh, it uh, it just you know they're, they're just saving a lot of money basically but when they when they gave everybody the ax and and walking papers, um, it was, it was very unfortunate. Everybody was very shocked and worried, of course. And, you know, Ed Suarez and Sven um, at LFA said, we're going to do our damnedest to keep the band together. And they, they, they kept their word, man. They're men of their word. They did. And it's a great organization. They, they put on, I, you know, I've been around MMA for a long time and, and, Week in and week out, they have been able to put on some of the best cards that I've ever seen, without a doubt. And and I'm talking every every show. There are great fights. Um, uh, Mark Bieri, who's the the matchmaker, does an incredible job matching people up equally so that we get incredible fights. And look, that makes my job easy as a commentator, right? I, I when you've got when you've got boring fights, which when. Michael Chevello and I worked together. We had a few a few shows that were not um, LFA shows um, where they were boring, and and Michael and I had to basically go into into the comedy routine. Man, we had to start making people laugh and just having a fun uh, having a good time with it.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, they were able to do that. I mean, I, it still amazes me. Like, oh, it costs too much money. Well i i don't know i'm sorry that bothers me you know uh, good quality people cost money that's just how it is right right yeah and that's you know it's
1: people think going digital and doing a lot of this other stuff too is is should cost less as as far as hiring people and all that sort of stuff and um you know the one thing i will say is that uh, ufc fight pass is doing a great job putting together and compiling a massive amount of of material, man. I mean, uh, content is king, right? And they
0: are they are kicking ass at it. So, oh, I've been fans oh. of them ever since they started doing invictia which I'm sure I just yeah. said wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love. I'm, I might be in the minority, but I'm a big fan of women's MMA. I
1: look. I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a a shitty ladies fight, and that's the one thing about women. When guys get tired, they'll let you know, bro. They'll let you know. They'll bend over, put their hands on their knees, and start sucking sucking wind women get tired they just start fighting harder they just get yeah. pissed
0: off it's yeah it reminds me longer. it reminds me more of the early days of uh mma to be honest with you when you see them fight you get just more exciting fights in a lot of cases i realize that people want knockouts and you don't see a lot of that in women's mma mma rather but i i just love watching them fight they just go at it
1: yeah no though it's it's like um just throwing two buzzsaws at each other and they just they just get after it. And, and you know, the technique just continues to get better. The athleticism gets better, you know. And that's that's one thing that, uh, again, the LFA has done a great job, is they have people fighting who look the way they're supposed to look. They fight the way they're supposed to fight. They move the way they're supposed to move, um, you know. And that what I've always called or coined aesthetically pleasing com- combat sports, you know what I mean? And that's, that's really important because – uh, people that are that are trained wrong on fundamentals or not conditioned correctly, which there you know are a lot of them out there because there's a, unfortunately there are a lot of coaches that don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, you know, I, I have a real tough time uh, watching that sort of thing. You know, there was uh, one kid who fought on one of our cards a couple of years back um, who had kind of kind of walked through several opponents in stand up fights. Uh, they, they fought or he fought a uh, couple strikers and he's got very good striking, but you know, found out real quick that his, that his, uh, ground game was not very strong. And his corner was basically saying the whole time he, the kid was mounted taking the elbows for three rounds. And I was wondering why the fight wasn't stopped uh, numerous times, but his cornermen were literally saying, we love you, bro. You can do this, bro. We love you, bro. And that's all they said for three rounds while this kid took elbows and punches to the head. And I, I, I said, you know, um, I'm maybe overly critical at times. Uh, but I expect people to be highly trained so that they don't get hurt, get killed, whatever. Um, and get butchered in the cage. But you know, I, I was critical of those guys. I said, you know, his mom and his girlfriend are here to tell him that they love him. Not you. You're, you're here to tell him to, how to get the fuck out of the mount position and survive this stuff, um, and uh, that's something that they didn't do. And, and when he fought again on one of our cards, and we were interviewing him uh, after weigh-ins, you can just say his his cornermen were not real.
0: They weren't real. They weren't smiling at me. Let's put it that way. Oh, you were vocal about this, apparently.
1: <laughs> oh, live on air, chew their asses <laughs> out.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, right on, right on. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, obviously, you're uh, an amazing trainer and coach. Uh, I'm going to tap into that for a second here. As a middle-aged, uh, tall, skinny guy who probably should know more about fighting than I do for self-defense, what would you what would you have me look into specifically? I'm like six seven and weigh like one ninety
1: for for self-defense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would say to be honest with you, Muay Thai and BJJ definitely.
0: Yeah, it's with a combination of the two.
1: At six seven, one ninety, I would. I would, um, oh my God! I, put the fear of God in people with your knees being able to go as high as they can. You rip people's heads off, uh, <laughs> and, and, and hacking elbows from a six foot seven guy coming down on them. That's that's terrifying. You're probably pretty
0: agile, aren't you? You play basketball and stuff. Uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm probably not did agile at all. It'd be the classification.
1: Six foot seven and didn't even play basketball.
0: No, no. I'm blind in one eye, so I don't I don't have any uh, shot ability.
1: Oh, I see. what you, Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, BJJ and Muay Thai, man. BJJ uh, and Muay Thai. Right. Absolutely, you put those two together, and uh, you'd be you'd be wrecking some people. Get a heavy bag, get a order a banana bag and some uh, wraps and gloves, and and you can watch all kinds of training videos on shit on YouTube and learn how to do a lot of stuff. Interesting. Um, just-
0: I'd <laughs> I'd heard the uh, jujitsu advice before, but I uh, never had a, heard anyone mention Muay Thai as something I should be into.
1: Yeah, so um, so somebody said obviously Pat's not aware of Jay's disability. So I, yeah, I don't, I have no clue. I am
0: very clumsy, and it's it's well documented on the OG.
1: <laughs> well, I tell you what, there is no better way to get coordination than to do Muay Thai and BJJ, and it, you know, this is the way I would put it. Um, I've seen it turn kids who were you know five years old and didn't know their left from their right. Uh, and take them in a, in a, a year or two and, and make them
0: kids that are going out for sports and kicking ass. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. Someone just said uh, Tim Sylvia is a prime example. He's actually one of my MMA heroes, uh, being a tall person as well. You know, I always rooted for him. Uh-oh. It looks like we might have lost him. We may have yeah it looks like we lost him all right well if you get a chance to call Bat- pack back pa- oh there he is he's back here he comes you got me whoopsie got me. <laughs> yeah we got you sir
1: okay yeah somehow i got cut out but um uh no i mean it'll it'll give you coordination and what i i also say you know when have you ridden the motorcycle jay
0: no i'm i'm actually terrified of motorcycles my stepdad was killed on one
1: <laughs> okay okay so i would say this you know when you're riding a motorcycle you've got the throttle in your right hand you've also got you know the uh the front brake in your right hand the lever mm-hmm. right in the front brake. uh your left hand um you've got the clutch uh your left foot um you've got the shifter for the gears on your right foot you got the rear brake so you got to know what all your limbs are doing at any given time right and right. uh, that's, there's a little bit of coordination involved in, in riding a motorcycle, although I believe that you would learn how to ride a motorcycle quite well um, if if given, you know, the instructions how to do it. So that's that's kind of the way I explain it to people is anybody can learn how to do it. If they keep working at it, they're going to get good at it. And that's that's what I would tell you. And I think that uh, it's a great way to to get in great shape too because – it's stimulating your brain at the same time where instead of getting on a treadmill or lifting weights, which are, which are great. Um, but a lot of people drop off and get bored doing that. You know, you got to, uh, understand that, that people learning when you're learning and breathing hard and getting in shape, you know, that's, that's the full package that you need, you know, and and obviously learning a life that could protect you and your, your family someday. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Well, I'd say, I would say I'm going to rush right out and take a class, but well, Maybe not right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but you can uh, order. You can order a heavy bag. Order a heavy bag stand, and uh, yeah. get your gloves and your and your hand wraps, and uh, and get after it, bro. Get after yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so. it. it sounds like it'd be
0: fun. I'm always looking for. I'm always trying to stay in shape. I, I lift weights and do yoga and stuff like that. But you know, uh, yeah, I think it'll be fun time. All right, Ryan, you got anything else you want to ask this gentleman?
2: Yeah, absolutely, if we have the time here. Um, So I I think you kind of touched on some of the stuff going on with LFA. Obviously, your fight coming up, probably moving. Like, when I think of this, like, this always seemed like, well, not always seems to only just happen, but like this seemed like the time for mixed martial arts to kind of go mainstream. I know we've kind of been there, but to think about all the sports that are out there, right, I don't think you're going to find anything with the excitement that could actually take place with some of these restrictions that are out there. So I don't know right. if you had any thoughts about you know the UFC like not finding replacements for some of these fights and and really the fighters in general, right? Because they're not making any money just sitting at home.
1: Right. Well, and and look, um, there's going to be an awful lot of people that are going to get pay-per-views um, right now. If if somebody were to you know, I can tell you that that I'm I'm sure that every M- MMA organization who is on any kind of televised platform. Is looking at figuring out how to get a warehouse and uh, and put together fights in a in a warehouse where you know they just you bring in and you film it and you commentate it just as you would if there was a crowd there. There's just no crowd there and give give people at home some some entertainment.
0: To me, that sounds different. awesome. I'm sorry, just to have just him the two fighters in an empty building. I was always a big fan of the Ultimate Fighter, watching those fights where you could hear the you know the coaches yelling back and forth and such.
1: Absolutely, you know, and uh, God, it's, 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 it's cool. And they've kind of made it, they've kind of made it. I think the athletic commission's frown on it now. They'll warn you for it and things like that. But, you know, when we were, (laughs) whenever we were cornering, you know, we were yelling, most of the time we were yelling at the other fighter. We were distracting the other fighter and screwing him up and messing with him. Like when Jens fought Dennis Hallman, Um, after Hallman had beat Hughes twice, he dropped in weight and wanted to take Jens' title. And excuse me, that entire fight, we we uh, yelled at Hallman for he continued to try and pull guard and get Jens to the ground. And Jens was beating him up, standing up and um, he couldn't take Jens down because Jens was a real good wrestler. And uh, we we badgered Hallman so much that he finally he was laying on his back after trying to pull guard again. And Jens was standing above him in his third round, like a minute or or, uh, last round, one minute left. And Holman looks over at us and flips us off and tells us to fuck off. And we start laughing our asses off. and uh, the fight the fight finished, and we were leaving walking Jens back and and uh, Bernard Hopkins was right behind us. It was me, Hughes Horn, and I can't remember one other person was cornering with us. and and uh, Bernard Hopkins stops us and he goes, dude, you guys are like a pack of jackals because I've never seen a corner do that to another fire, And that was, that was part of, that was part of the fun of it. You know, the mind game, right. And, uh, and messing with them. and you know, that was all, we always made sure to, if you can make sure that the fight takes place over by us so we can, we can mess with that guy. You know, we, we wouldn't yell specific instructions a lot of times to our guys because the other guy can hear, right. Our guys knew what to do, you know? So that was the fun of it. And that's, I think that should still exist. I think athletic commissions. You know, this. Why the hell would you have, um, you know, politically correct cornering in a sport where people
0: are getting wrecked? You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. I mean, I can see you might not want to have some of that stuff go on the air, but yeah. as far as like in the arena, why would you? Why would you? Oh, I think it should be on the air. I think I think that the crowd should hear it and
1: understand the the seriousness of what's going on. Right.
0: Right. Right. Well, yeah. On the other hand, it, it's not like it's a kid's sport. So you do have that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the athletes are in there. They're playing for keeps, man. At that level, the, the boys are playing for keeps. And uh,
0: You, guys want, you know, guys want to take a
3: caller here? Sure. All right. I, hold on one second. Hey, Mr. Pat Miltich. Hey, it's Marinko. How are you?
1: Marinko. How you doing, buddy?
3: Good. Listen, brother. First off, we want to thank you for uh, calling in, uh, we didn't tell anybody this is kind of a surprise for everybody so first off thank you and hopefully we could do this again in the future yeah man yeah thank you for the invite i, I enjoyed this looking right um so i have a question for you actually so the coronavirus thing what do you think is going to be the outcome number one and i guess with that saying what's going to be learned uh, you know what i'm saying like i just what, what's your take from the people you've talked to i know the conspiracy farm. You have a lot of experts that call in, etc. So that, and as well, would you happen to tell us? Because I've heard the story from you personally over ten years ago, the Lee Murray Tito story. If so you're up for it.
1: Oh, okay. I'll try and I'll try and be quick on the coronavirus outcome. You know, I. I that's the thing is, and you know, you don't have of, to again.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I'll do my best to to. You know, I think that it's. You know, is it mandatory vaccines? Look, this is just one coronavirus of many or one uh, pandemic of many. The next pandemic rolls around, are they going to shut the uh, entire economy, global economy down again and and make millions of people uh, homeless and, and people starving? I mean, uh, you know, is this mandatory vaccines uh, for you to even be able to go back to work and your kids to go back to school, which they've already done in California and a couple other places? Um, is it... Is it digital currency, so they can track us and control us? Um, you know, there, there's a lot of a lot of stuff with this that's pretty uh, up in the air. It really is. It's up in the air. I, I again don't subscribe to ne- necessarily any one uh, one outcome, but I know it's all possible given given that I've researched this stuff for a lot of years and and uh, done shows on it. But uh, as far as Lee Murray, Lee, Lee Murray, I trained him. You know, he was coming over to the United States and training with us and. Uh, UFC in London, the first UFC in London when Matt Hughes uh, had the rematch with Carlos Newton, he obviously finished Carlos in that fight. And then the UFC loaded up two, they said, Be ready, we'll t- take you back to the hotel, everybody get showered, get cleaned up. We're gonna load up two big buses um, full of fighters, cornermen, whoever wants to go, and we're gonna haul you down to a nightclub in downtown London. And we're going to give you the whole back room of this place. And it's free food, free hors d'oeuvres, free drinks, whatever you want. So um, everybody's, you know, drinking, having a good time. And, and uh, all of a sudden at like five, five in the morning, whatever it was, they said, all right, everybody out. So a couple hundred people pour out into the alley behind this nightclub. And uh, one of Tito's buddies, uh, who I got along with really well with Tito and all of his guys back then, um, he jumped on my back and kind of acted like he was choking. I could feel he wasn't choking me or, or, didn't have bad intentions because he wasn't squeezing the choke. He was just goofing around. His name was Bo. He's a real nice guy. And I felt horrible about what happened to him that night. But, uh, one of my fighters, Tony Fricklin ripped uh bow off my back and Bo turned around and they were facing toward each other. And Tony goes, what the, what, what the fuck are you trying to do to my coach? Cause Tony, you know, thought he was trying to choke me. So, um, Bo started to, to lip back to him and uh, cause Tony pretty forcefully ripped <clears> him off my back. And uh, at that point, one of Lee Murray's buddies, Paul, uh, big dude from London, uh, rifled poor Bo with a right hand and launched him, um, out into the road and his arm flew out in the road. And then a, I think a cab ran over his arm and then the, the entire alley just exploded. It was like a stick of dynamite went off and fights broke out everywhere between the guys from England and Tito's camp. And Tony and I uh, did not, were not involved in any throwing of any punches, anything like that. I saw uh, Chuck Lydell against the alley wall, uh, defending himself. He was dropping people left and right, doing doing a great job of defending himself. And uh, I've always gotten along with Chuck great also. And, uh, but Tito went after Lee. Uh, Tito ran right past me, taking his coat off, going after Lee and Lee was backing up, taking his coat off. And as soon as their coats, their coach literally hit the ground at the same time. Tito threw a, a combo at Lee. Lee ducked out of the way of every single one of them and then returned fire and hit Tito with every single punch he threw and dropped Tito on his face. And as soon as Tito hit the ground, Lee Lee had steel-toed boots on at the time and started kicking Tito in the head. So I grabbed Lee and I pushed him away and I said, Lee, stop, just get out of here. Because I got along with both of them. Obviously, I trained one of them and I got along with Tito at the time. So I, I stopped it. And I said, get out of here. And so he goes, all right, Pat, I'll see you later, and took off. Um, Tito uh, woke up eventually, confused about what was going on. And then when he got back, um, apparently he told Dana that that my camp and all the English uh, guys all jumped him, and uh, we beat him up. And, and that's why he got beat up, and that's why everybody got beat up. And, uh, all the guys from my camp and the, and the London fighters um, doing that to him. And so, you know – Dana called me up and, and, uh, you know, and I told him, I said, listen, dude, that's not the truth. That's not the truth at all. And then Dana called me up, you know, a week later and said, I'm uh, there's, they're mailing me the surveillance video of that entire alley fight. And I'm going to watch it and see what you guys were responsible for and everything else. And I go, good, send me a copy of it because <laughs> you're going to see that we didn't do shit. And, uh, no matter what I said, it didn't matter. Um, Tony Fricklin lost his UFC contract because of it, and he didn't do anything. And uh, it was it was very unfortunate. And that was kind of the start of the the divide between Dana and I that lasted for over a decade. You know, there were some other things that happened between us, unfortunately. And I wish things would have gone differently because um, you know it, it really, I think it, it undoubtedly cost me a massive amount of money over the years having a feud with him. And uh, you know, it got to the point where I wasn't even allowed. To be anywhere near Dana, uh, his bodyguards were watching me like hawks, thinking I was going to beat him up or something. So it was and just what, all very. And, unfortunate. Why,
0: and why do you think Tito did that? Do you think it's a case of like remember it differently than everybody else because he was knocked the fuck out, or did he just no, lie because he wanted to cover being getting his ass beat?
1: Yeah, he was. He was covering getting his ass beat is what it was. Pretty. Yeah, much dress so. shoes
0: on. Did he not?
3: What's that? I thought I thought the rumor was that he said that he had dress shoes on or whatever. That's why he fell. Yeah, because Pat, you well, told him the story. I know, I know, it's had, not that
1: he had dress shoes on, but but dress shoes didn't cause
3: him to go to sleep. No, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, brother. Thanks again. Uh, hopefully, we could do this in the future. Uh, we we do appreciate from the OG for you calling in, and I just wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart, man.
1: Hey, thank you, brother. Hope all's good up there, man. Stay safe.
3: All right, you too, man. All right, brother
0: excellent all right well do you guys uh, have any other questions for this gentleman pat do you have anything else that you want to cover before we get out of here yeah
1: um you know just uh people can uh, find me on my podcast the the conspiracy farm they can go to the conspiracy com. all of our episodes are there you know youtube has suppressed our numbers and, and demonetized us because we've been telling the truth for a long time and they don't like the truth and uh, but tonight we've got we've been doing podcasts every night. We've got we had uh, Chris Tanto Peranto on last night. He was the gentleman that was um, the subject matter for the movie Thirteen Hours. He's the the author of the the book Thirteen Hours from the attack in Benghazi, Libya. He was a CIA, um, um, CIA uh, uh, contractor who was one of the guys that had to defend that compound that that ambassador Stevens and his assistant died, uh, Ty Woods and another Navy SEAL died, uh, in that they were, um, CIA contractors also, but I mean, it was just a few guys fighting off an entire, um, militia, but he confirmed when we, you know, people called me a tinfoil hat wearing fool for a long time. When I said that, uh, we've done the tracking, we've done the research. We've had the guests on that know we've, we've seen the documentation of, you know, our government and other governments were were paying for and arming
3: um,
1: ISIS and Al Nusra in Syria to overthrow Asa- uh, al Assad um, over there, and and uh, uh, they were running weapons through. One place was obviously Benghazi, Libya, and and uh, whether it was to cover tracks or whatever it was, um, that that militia attacked Ambassador Stevens to get rid of him, and Chris Chris Toronto confirmed that on a show several months ago when we had him on and said, absolutely. He goes, we were, we were 100% running weapons to ISIS and Al-Nusra through, through there. So, um, you know, that's, that's why the, the big backlash against Hillary Clinton, that's probably why she didn't win the election to be honest with you because everybody knew she was responsible for some really bad shit. And, uh, you know, but tonight we're going to have Sonny Puzikas on Sonny Puzikas is former Russian Spetsnaz, a terrorist hunter. And he was present in, in Russia when the, when the old Soviet Union fell. He was, he was a Special Forces Spetsnaz operator when all that stuff went down, and he ended up coming to the United States. And uh, he trains a lot of people over here now. He's, he's a very, very bright guy. He's seen the collapse of nations. Uh, he's been in some very, very hairy situations in his life. He's a complete badass and very smart. And so he's going to give us a breakdown of, of what he thinks is going on here uh, t- in this country and globally, with the pandemic and the monetary system and everything else, and so it's going to be a very good show tonight. It's it's going to be very very good education for everybody, including myself, to listen to a guy with that with that kind of of expertise and experience. So it's 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 going to be uh, good. And I'll do a I'm going to do a Facebook Live while we're while we're we're recording the show on Skype. But um, uh, we've had him on before, and he's a he's a great guest. He's a lot of fun to talk to because he doesn't beat around the bush at all, man. He's, he's, uh, comes from a very hard, hard part of the world. and been through a lot of nasty shit. So, uh, it's, it's going to be very, very good
0: show. Excellent. We'll all have to definitely listen. All right. Well, I think we're all done here. Uh, Pat, I really want to thank you for coming on our show. It was definitely a big boost for our second episode to have a legend like you on here.
1: I appreciate it guys. Thank you for having me on man. And, uh, I'll come on whenever you guys need, and we'll have some fun. And, and uh, you get caught up on conspiracies and geopolitical policy and domestic policy, so the next time we talk,
0: you know what the hell's going on. I will do so, sir. All right, until next time. We will be on tomorrow at 6 p.m., so be sure to join, join us again, folks. Uh, until then, I'm Passive J, and that's Ryan, uh, and this was The Other Ground Live.